Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined, as always, by Griffin Strom, which I know I've been saying wrong. This weekend is the first time I learned that it was actually pronounced Strom. So you, you didn't correct me on it, but I do apologize for saying your name wrong for the last month. What prompted you to, to figure out that how it was pronounced differently? I think you were on the phone with like a pizza person. And you said Strom, and I'm like, and I, and I think it was the second time I had heard you over the weekend say Strom, and I'm like, oh, I always thought it was Strom. Yeah, I always try to pronounce people's names correctly because I feel like it's respectful. But me personally, I do not care at all if you call me Griffin Strom because it's like that's how it looks. There's no E at the end. There's no umlaut on the O. So I really don't care. Strom, Strom. You can call me whatever. Most people probably do call me Strom. I usually never uh, correct people, so... When we were starting out with uh, Colin, I used to call him Colin Hasshill, and then I realized it was Hasshill, so uh, two for two on on getting the names wrong initially. But speaking of things that we got wrong, we thought Ohio State's game at Rutgers last week would be a close game, and we were definitely wrong about that. And it's funny because last week, ever since I've been here, I've been responsible for compiling our score predictions and basically how we do it here at 11 warriors is basically everybody on the staff submits what they think the score of a game is going to be. And then I kind of do a composite score based on kind of the average or median of what the scores are. And last week there was about as much consensus as I can ever remember there being in terms of just about everybody had the same score predictions Kyle Jones, credit to him, he predicted a final score of 49 to 14, which was very close to the actual final score of 52 to 13. Everyone else on our staff, I think, was basically between like 34 and 45 points for Ohio State. And everybody had Rutgers scoring at least like 17 to 24 points. And it ended up being complete domination by Ohio State because really that 52 to 13 final score really doesn't even do justice to how dominant Ohio State was in that game because Ohio State scored on seven of its first eight possessions. Really, it basically scored in its first seven possessions because the one that it didn't score on was at the end of the first half where Ohio State, already up 45-6 to six at that point, decided to just run out the clock and, and take it into halftime. After the opening drive of the second half, they took C.J. Stroud out of the game. The offense didn't score again after that. Rutgers' second touchdown came when Ohio State had no starters left in the game on defense. But you look at the first three quarters of that game, Ohio State was completely dominant. And I think that's exactly what we needed to see from the Buckeyes. Because obviously, the first few weeks of the season were not great for this team. There were there's a loss to Oregon. You know, The Tulsa game after that uh, was a bumpy one. But these last couple weeks, we've finally seen a team that's dominating its competition. And while dominating Rutgers has been the norm, it's still a big step up from Akron. And for Ohio State to go out now two weeks in a row and dominate the game on both sides of a ball, I think that's a lot of reason to be encouraged about the direction this team is going. And I think it's a big confidence boost for these Buckeyes. Safe to say that that was Ohio State's finest performance of the season. Obviously playing Rutgers. This is not the Rutgers we've seen in recent years. If you looked at the score of this game in a vacuum, in a history vacuum, you'd be like, yeah, Ohio State beats Rutgers by that margin every year. So why would it be any different? 
But we had just seen Rutgers only lose 20-13 to to Michigan. I believe shut Michigan out in the second half, looked really good in parts of that game, especially defensively. Rutgers' defensive numbers were really impressive coming into this game. And the fact that Ohio State was able to put together such a dominant performance, and how can we go further in this podcast without talking about what C.J. Stroud did in that game? Of course, it was his first game back dealing with his shoulder injury. He did not play against Akron. Kyle McCord stepped in and started that game. C.J. Stroud was back this week. He said his shoulder felt a lot better. He looked a lot better, honestly, than we'd seen him before. He threw for 330 yards, five touchdowns. He only had six incompletions. It was his first game without throwing an interception as well. We didn't see a lot of those overthrows that we might have seen in the first few games. And CJ Stroud, for the first time this season after a game, seemed very confident and happy with where he's at right now. Yeah, without a doubt, the best performance we've seen from CJ Stroud, and one that, in my opinion, should quell you know any talk about a quarterback controversy, at least for the time being. Because I think CJ Stroud showed us on Saturday why he's QB1 of this team, why he's the guy who Ryan Day firmly believes is the starting quarterback of this football team. I thought, you know, he, he played an excellent game. I think he started the game something like 12 of 14, and the only two incompletions were drops by Jackson Smith and Jigba. So he was really sharp. I thought he made a lot of great throws. I mean, really, I think the only blemish in his game was, I think it was late in the second quarter, if I remember correctly, he he threw a pass that should have been intercepted by uh, Olakunle Fadakasi, the Rutgers linebacker. And then on the very next play, made what I think was probably his best play as a Buckeye so far, where he was about to get sacked, escapes for rusher, and then kept keeps his eyes downfield the whole time under pressure and gets the ball to Chris Olave, who then does what we've seen more and more from Chris Olave this year, is magic after the catch tiptoe the sideline, weave his way to the end zone for a 52-yard touchdown. And I think you see plays like that. You see the way this offense was clicking on those first eight possessions on Saturday. And you go, okay, this, this is what the Ohio State offense is supposed to look like. With all the talent we have, this is what it's supposed to look like. And I absolutely think the shoulder being healthier had a lot to do with that. Because he admitted after the game that, especially the Tulsa game, you know his shoulder was a huge problem. He really couldn't throw the ball the way he was supposed to. And I think, I think a lot of fans were questioning that whether that was just an excuse. We said all along we we saw him throw and it was clearly bothering. We didn't think it was an excuse. And even just watching him in warmups on Saturday, it was clear he felt a lot more confident, a lot more comfortable in that arm. And I'm sure some of it was psychological. He did acknowledge too that being on the sideline for a week and watching the other guys gave him a new perspective. So I'm sure it did fire him up a little bit to go out and, you know, really show, Hey, this is why I'm a starting quarterback. But I thought it was an excellent performance from CJ Stroud. And of course now it's just about building momentum off of that. There have been games where some of the weapons for Ohio state, this Ohio state offense hadn't got as involved as they would have liked to see. So for example, the first couple games, it was Jackson Smith and Jigba maybe not getting some of the targets that he would have liked to have seen. The last couple games here, it was Chris Olave not getting the touches he wanted. <clears throat> Jeremy Ruckert, he had not gotten many, very many touches coming into this game. This was a game where you saw almost all of those weapons were kind of checked off on a list, right? So Chris Olave had a huge game, 100-yard game. Garrett Wilson had 80 yards and a touchdown, something like that. Jackson Smith and Jigba made some big plays. Jeremy Rucker got a touchdown. Mitch Rossi got a touchdown. Three different tight ends uh, caught the ball with G. Scott as well. So I thought it was a really great job by C.J. Stroud of getting 
everyone touches in this offense that we've obviously talked about so much is having so many weapons being such a versatile, varied offense. And CJ Stroud did a great job for possibly the first time this year of getting everybody involved, I thought. Yeah, it felt like he was just a lot sharper in terms of making the right reads, finding the open receivers. Those are things that come with experience. And so I, I think everyone should feel really good about what saw of CJ Stroud on Saturday. And I know there's some people who are still saying we want to see more deep balls from CJ Stroud. I mean, you know, some people want to see more of a running fret from CJ. I mean, I think the reality on the second part is CJ's not Justin Fields. Uh, CJ's never going to be Justin Fields in terms of that running fret. And so, you know, he's going to be more of a pocket passer. I think that much is clear. But I think as long as he's passing the ball the way that we saw on, on Saturday, and as long as, you know, Travion Henderson can stay healthy, which, you know, there was a little bit of a scare there, but uh, Ryan Day said Tuesday that he's good to go. Yeah, I think you pair, you know, what the way the offensive line's been playing the last few games, the way Travion Henderson has come along, and then, you know, C.J. Stroud getting into a groove of all of those weapons that you just named. This offense, I, I know you did, you looked it up the other day. I think it's number two in total offense right now, what, maybe number four in scoring offense, I think. This offense is, is absolutely one of the best in the country right now. And so... I look at the offense and I think, you know, there's tons of reason to be optimistic about what this offense can do. Of course, the big question for most of this year has been the defense, but the defense, we got to give them a lot of credit too, because, you know, we talked about it last week, like we got to give the defense some flowers, but we're not really sure where to go with this, but they came back again, really other than one really bad play, which was them giving up a 75 yard touchdown to Aaron Crookshank. Other than that, again, the only def- the only touchdown they gave up came in the fourth quarter when they had walk-ons out there at linebacker and you know a lot of guys out there who really didn't have much experience. Uh, the defense, you know, has now given up 20 points combined in the last two games, which is a huge step forward from where it was over the first three games. And it's really interesting because you know Kyle Jones, who we have out here on the podcast a lot, and who. Uh, does a way better job of of explaining scheme than either of us do. He wrote about it on Monday, and if you haven't read it, you definitely should because it's a great piece that he wrote on 11warriors.com this week about how Ohio State has basically revamped its defensive scheme here in two weeks. And I remember when we talked to Kyle a couple weeks ago, he didn't think that was going to be possible. And they've managed to make this more of a two-deep cover-two defense. you got to give Matt Barnes a lot of credit for what he's doing and in terms of taking over as the defensive play caller and this whole coaching staff figuring out that they needed to change things on that side of a ball. And it seems like they've gotten into a groove. Now, again, it's Akron and Rutgers, two teams that do not have great offenses. But nonetheless, I think to see what we've seen from the defense for the last couple of weeks, there's definitely reason to feel like this thing's going in the right direction. Going into this game, Ryan Day talked a lot about taking pressure off of C.J. Stroud, and I think one big reason why C.J. Stroud was able to be so successful in that game is because think about the two huge defensive plays made by the Buckeyes early in that game. The first being they snuffed out the fake punt attempt that Rutgers, I will say foolishly, pulled out on the very first drive of the game, wasn't it? Yes. Should have been picked off by Cam Martinez, but instead it goes down as a, a PBU, gives Ohio State the ball in a short field, and then two plays in, Travion Henderson runs for a 44-yard touchdown. That takes a huge amount of pressure off of C.J. Stroud, and that's all set up by the defense there. 
Then, of course, in the next Rutgers possession, Denzel Burke picks off a pass, a pick six, the third pick six in the last three games for Ohio State, which has not been achieved since 2016. And suddenly Ohio State's up 14 to nothing, and C.J. Stroud can kind of play with with house money there and was able to have a, a, a great performance and is really set up by two massive plays by the defense, which has scored a lot of points for Ohio State and, and has shown with three interceptions against Rutgers that it's able to, to take the ball away and come up with turnovers when it's really needed. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a huge thing when you're able to make those kind of plays. And, you know, like you said, even on special teams, Ryan Day made a point after the game of giving specific credit to Parker Fleming because they knew Rutgers was going to try to do some tricky stuff on special teams. And certainly from my perspective, I think that was too early in the game to go for a fake punt. I think to, to go for that on your own side of the field and then give Ohio State that great field position. I know I think Greg Schiano said after the game, the fake punt doesn't cause a guy to go untouched, which is exactly what happened on that Travion Henderson 44-yard touchdown run two plays later. So do I think the fake punt really did much to change the outcome of this game? No, I don't. I think Ohio State was clearly better on both sides of the ball, and that was going to happen regardless. still think that was a, a questionable decision, but I think the thing, I think the thing that was so encouraging about this game is even against Akron, we saw them start slow. I mean, they, they trailed against Akron. They allowed Akron to score early in the game. This is the first time all year where we saw Ohio State just come out and just just step on it. You know what I mean? I mean they, 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 just, they came out and just started the game ideally. You know, they, they, they force a punt on the first drive. They stop it. They score right away. Then they score right away again with a defensive touchdown. And you know, then they just, just they were just on a roll. They just they they just clearly seized control of that game, and never looked back. And e- I mean, even after the one touchdown by Rutgers, they they block an extra point, and then they go right back down the field and score again. So, I think that's what's so encouraging is we saw a team that a team it was supposed to beat, an inferior opponent for sure, but it just went out and it just took care of business. And they've got to keep doing it because they've got a lot of tougher opponents on the schedule. And we don't really know how good Rutgers is yet. You know, maybe we gave Rutgers a little bit too much credit. We'll, we'll kind of find out over the next seven weeks how good this performance by Ohio State actually was. But I think to go on the road in a Big Ten game and to play that well, I just think that's a huge confidence booster for this team going into another Big Ten game this week against Maryland. We think that Maryland will probably be able to show a little bit more on offense than Rutgers was able to. However, like you said, it's still finally a chance for Ohio State to show that it's made improvements in in confidence, execution, and this is coming after a loss. So Ohio State doesn't have this, you know, false confidence like you know maybe they had after the, the Minnesota game, for example, thinking that we can stick with the same scheme. They've made changes to the scheme now. They're playing more cover two. They're, they're changing. They're, they seem to be trending towards some definitive rotations and lineups, especially in the back seven. And now it's something to build on in a major way for Ohio State. One other note, I think we should we should mention, even though Ryan Day on Tuesday said that Travion Henderson is all good to go this week. Just one more thing from that Rutgers game that was pretty notable from that first half was Travion Henderson for Ohio State, the star running back, did take a big hit in the second quarter. And he did come out of the game. We were watching him kind of walk around on the sideline. He went back to the medical tent for a while. But Ryan Day, after at halftime or after the game, said that Trayvon Henderson actually wanted to come in in the second half, 
But then he said Tuesday that it would be kind of foolish of them to play him at that point because why would you risk any further injuries at that point? But I think a great sign for Ohio State that Trayvon Henderson, who could have put up probably huge numbers in that game if he had actually played more, it should be good to go moving forward for the Buckeyes. We look at this team right now, I think it's worth talking a little bit before we move on to Maryland just about the path forward for this team because I think the last few weeks, the vibe for most Ohio State fans has been, you know, this is not a college football playoff team. This is, you know, the expectations need to be lowered for this team. And, I mean, we even talked about it last week that we we probably do need to manage the expectations for this team. But, you know, we've also said all along, all of the goals for this team have always still been on the table. That loss to Oregon was never the season-ending doom and gloom loss that a lot of people wanted to make it out to be. And you know, everything's still on the table for this team. You know, I've seen some people talking about this week about how you, know, you can start to get those 2014 vibes for this team now. And you know, that was kind of one of the points I made all along was you can, bounce, you can have that early season non-conference loss and you can, you can bounce back from it. And, you know, now we're starting to see the strides of, you know, okay, maybe this is a team that's capable of doing that. Now, again, I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves after seeing them beat Rutgers because Rutgers is a team that they've traditionally dominated. But I think we're at least now we're starting to see the semblance of a team that, okay, if they can keep playing like this, if they can keep building on this, they have a chance. I think it's telling that Ohio State and the coaches and a people jumped Oregon, despite the fact that Oregon is a team that beat them just a few weeks ago. I think that should go a long way in showing you that Ohio State, if they keep winning games, especially in the fashion like they did against Rutgers, they're going to be right in that mix. Like a lot of people, like you said, didn't know if they would be. And honestly, Ohio State is going to have a chance to prove that they belong because they're going to play these heavy hitters in the Big Ten. Right now, Iowa's ranked number three. That could be their Big Ten championship matchup. Obviously, Ohio State plays Penn State down the line. They're number four. Michigan is in the top 10 right now. So it's not like Ohio State's not going to have the names on its resume that they'll need to have to make it to the CFP by the end of the year if they are to win those games. They'll have some big names on that resume, and it'll be clear that they'll be right in the mix if they win out, but that's a big if. Yeah, I don't think Ohio State has anything to worry about in terms of if it wins out, will it make the playoff? Because, you know, you said those. Four, there are four teams, if you include the likely matchup with Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game, there's four teams right now left on the schedule who are currently undefeated and who are ranked in the top 11. So unless one of those teams nosedives here over the next two months, Ohio State should have the opportunity to get wins over four ranked teams. And if it can do that, I think Ohio State's absolutely going to make the playoff. Because I think if you just look at, if you just go off the AP coaches' rankings right now, and you look at the pecking order, you say, okay, t- two of the teams ranked ahead of Ohio State, Ohio State's still going to have a chance to beat an Iowa and Penn State. Cincinnati, I'd love to see Cincinnati get the chance if they go undefeated. But I think the CFP committee is taking a one-loss Ohio State over undefeated Cincinnati because the strength of schedule, even with Cincinnati getting that win over Notre Dame, Ohio State's strength of schedule is going to be significantly better at the end of a year. And we've consistently seen the committee favor one-loss Power 5 teams over undefeated Group of 5 teams. 
And then I look at Oklahoma and I go, Oklahoma has, has played close games against every single FBS opponent it's played this year. So I'd be very surprised at this point if Oklahoma goes unbeaten. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose to Texas this week. And I think if Oklahoma loses a game, then Ohio State's strength of schedule is going to be better than Oklahoma's. And so I look at it and go, if they go, if they, if they can finish this thing with one loss, I think they're going to be well positioned to where they could get ahead of everybody most likely other than Alabama and Georgia. The Oregon question would be interesting. I think probably the ideal thing if you're Ohio State is you would like Oregon to lose one more game and exactly one more game. Because if they both have one loss, I think there absolutely would be people on the committee who would put the head-to-head factor there and say Oregon should be ahead of Ohio State. You also don't want Oregon to nosedive because you, you don't want that to look like a worse loss. But I don't know that I really even see that being a huge deal at the end of the day. But I think you'd probably like it if Oregon loses one more game just so that you know you're ahead of Oregon and then you'd still like Oregon to win out for us to away from there so that it it's not a really bad loss on your resume. Of course, we say all of this with the caveat of Ohio State actually winning these games. <laughs> and the real point here is if you're a fan right now, you shouldn't be worrying about what is the CFP committee going to do. You should be worrying about can we beat Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, and Iowa? And that's a question that I don't know the answer to because I think all four of those teams are have proven they're legit at this point. I think every single one of those games could go either way. And you know, right now in a vacuum, again, I'm probably picking Ohio State to beat any of those teams just because I think Ohio State has a better offense than any of those teams. But to say that Ohio State's going to win all four of those games I think that's going to be a big challenge. And so we'll see. Griffin, from your perspective of those four teams, which is the one that scares you the most right now as the team that could beat Ohio State? I will say one thing we talked about going into the Rutgers game was that a team like Rutgers that had a great defense on paper but not a great offense, we thought that was a good matchup for Ohio State. That seems possibly to be the case with a couple of these teams here. But Iowa, which is a team with, a frightening defense, especially after turning the turning Talia Tagovailoa and the Maryland offense over seven times on Friday. They got a lot scarier because not only did they, did they do that, they also put up 50 plus points, which is something that we didn't necessarily see from them, that offense before. Spencer Petras had a, a career day, a Tyler Goodson receiving the ball, running the ball, looking like a, a very legit threat in, in multiple different facets for them. That's a scary team right now. And a team like Penn State is also constructed kind of similarly with a the offense hasn't put up crazy numbers, but a 24-0 win over Indiana. Of course, Indiana is not looking great this season. So at the end of the season, will we look back and look at wins over Indiana the same? Who knows? A team like Michigan State, Michigan State, the offense there is looking you know much improved than, than uh, past years. Obviously, Kenneth Walker for them is looking like the best running back in the entire Big Ten. But the last couple of weeks for Michigan State as well, a 48-31 win over Western Kentucky doesn't look that great on paper, giving up 31 points to Western Kentucky. And a 23-20 win over Nebraska certainly isn't looking fantastic. Of course, Nebraska's been up and down this year. 
they've all kind of got their things about them that are kind of scary. I think Iowa right now, though, and that you know they're the highest ranked team of the bunch. I think Iowa probably scares me the most just because of just how that defense is played. Really, yeah, I think because of what you said before in terms of stylistic matchups, I think I lean toward Michigan because I think Michigan probably has the most dangerous offensive team. And I know their passing game has been very inconsistent, but I think if McNamara can build some momentum and get better as the season progresses, their running game has been really good and their defense has been good. So I, I think Michigan is maybe the team that I look at as the most dangerous stylistically. I still kind of lean toward Penn State being like the game to circle because we've seen Penn State just plays Ohio State so close every year. But I, I feel like on paper, just looking at the matchups, it might be Michigan. I think Michigan might be the team that maybe stylistically presents the biggest challenge to Ohio State. Michigan State, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm still I'm not quite sold on Michigan State yet. Like, I'm, I'm still not quite sure, like, is Michigan State as good as their record? Because like you said, like they haven't dominated their last couple opponents. Like I, I'm still, I'm not quite there yet on Michigan State. That said, I think Michigan State is good enough to beat Ohio State if Ohio State doesn't play well. I'm not saying that they're not. But, you know, I'm probably putting them fourth among that group right now. Well, Dad, let's move on to our, a question here from Trey Sermon Grin from the forum. If you pretended the first three games of college football were preseason for everyone which that kind of makes it a more involved question than I even realized it was at first. Rank your top eight. We probably won't go a full top eight, but do you have any preliminary thoughts on your top teams right now if we're throwing out the first three games of the season as being preseason? Well, I think throw out whatever arbitrary number of games you want. I think it's pretty obvious who the two best teams in college football are right now. And I think that's Alabama and Georgia. It, it might be Georgia than Alabama. It, you could go either way on that. To me, I think they're a clear top two in college football right now. If I'm predicting right now which two teams have the best chance of, of playing in the national championship game, it's Georgia and Alabama for me, without a doubt. If, if you were asking me to pick right now who would win between Ohio State and Alabama, I'm picking Alabama. If you were asking me to pick right now who would win between Ohio State and Georgia, I'm, I'm picking Georgia. After that, though, I look at it, and I, 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 this is kind of a way I look at it. You know, in terms of rankings, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steer this conversation in not comparing resumes, but in comparing potential for these teams. And to me, if I look at, okay, which team do I think has the third best chance of winning a national championship right now? And maybe a, a more specific way to spin that is which over team in college football that I think has the best chance of beating Alabama or Georgia. To me, that team is Ohio State because I think if Ohio State can continue to build on the progress we've seen from the last couple of weeks, I think Ohio State is the team that has the most potential to go out there on any given day and, and beat an Alabama or a Georgia. And a lot of this goes back to, you can look at the, the team talent composite rankings that 24-7 Sports puts out before the season. And the top two teams this year are Alabama and Georgia. So it shouldn't come as any surprise that they're the, they look like the two best teams in college football right now. 
And Ohio State is number three on that list. And you, you can't look at those rankings and just simply say that's who the best teams in college football are because that doesn't factor in how guys develop. There's always hits and misses in recruiting. But what I do think it tells you is which teams have the most potential based on the way they've recruited to be championship caliber teams. And I think Ohio State has more, p- more potential than anyone else other than Alabama and Georgia to be a, a national team this year. I mean, obviously Clemson's out of the equation. Oklahoma's the other team that was kind of in that preseason conversation. They have, not, they have not shown me anything so far this season to make me think that's a, that's a team that's taken that step forward they were supposed to take. To me, they, they, I think they're probably good enough to win the Big 12. They're probably good enough to make the college football playoff. I don't know if they're good enough to win them a college football playoff, which has kind of been the rub on Oklahoma here uh, for the past however many years. You mean I look at the other teams and I go, okay, you know, Iowa, Penn State, both of them have played really well. I don't know if they're good enough offensively to win them a college football playoff. Cincinnati's played really well. I don't know if they have the talent to win them a college football playoff. Obviously, you know, Oregon losing this past week to Stanford. I think Oregon played great against Ohio State, but I don't, I don't know that Oregon is, is a team that can, you know, compete with Alabama and Georgia right now. And there's not really anybody else out there that I look at and go, man, they're, they're playing amazing football to where I think, you know, they're a team that can be a championship contender. And so to me, if I'm just ranking the teams based on their potential to compete for a championship at the end of the year, it's Alabama, Georgia, they're 1A and 1B for me, and then Ohio State's number three. I think I keep Iowa right now just because I was so impressed by their performance on Friday, even though they had one or two, one and a half maybe performances that, that didn't look as dominant or great this season. I think Iowa deserves right now to definitely be in that top four. I definitely agree, though, that come the end of the season, might we see that Iowa isn't quite ready to take that next level elite jump up to, to those other heavy hitters? I think we quite possibly could see that. That's kind of why I would take Ohio State over a Penn State, with Penn State being that four right now in the in the polls. I would take Ohio State over Penn State because we've just seen Ohio State in the last several years. They've taken that next step, and Penn State has always flirted with it, but they haven't actually made that next step. And so that's why right now I, I would definitely have Ohio State above Penn State. I mean, Oklahoma. there's no way I'm, I would personally put Oklahoma ahead of Ohio State just watching the games right now. Even with Ohio State having a loss on the schedule, I think Oklahoma is going to be an interesting case because if they do just continue to win and go undefeated, even though every game it seems like they're barely skating by with a single-digit uh, margin of victory, that's going to be an interesting case because you're going to look at their resume and it might not look as good as, as some other teams, but maybe other teams have a loss where Oklahoma does not. That's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. But I think, yeah, like we talked about, if you don't have Alabama and Georgia as your top two, even if it's a reverse order, I really just don't know what you're what you're watching at this point. And I think we both kind of think that there might be a pretty significant drop off from those first two teams, two, three, and four. After that, I think I'm probably taking Iowa and Ohio State as my my other two in the top four. 
We've talked about how good Iowa looked last week. Well, part of the reason why Iowa looked so good last week is because Maryland played really poorly. And now Maryland's going to have to try to bounce back this week against Ohio State. And I say that to say when I think we, we evaluate the challenges Maryland might present, we can't just look at that last game. We have to look at the season as a whole because this is a Maryland team. I think the biggest thing I look at in this game is I say, this is going to be the biggest test so far for the pass defense because I think Talia Tagovailoa is the best passer Ohio State has faced so far this year, and I think Rakeem Jarrett's the best wide receiver that Ohio State has faced so far this year. Ohio State does catch a break with the injury to Dante Demas, who's out for the season for Maryland. I think that certainly hurt them this past week, and we'll see if they can bounce back now with a week of preparing without him. They do have some other players like Jay Sean Jones who have made some plays. So I still think even without Demas, I think this is the best passing offense Ohio State will have played this year. Certainly throwing six interceptions last week, five of them by Tagovailoa was a really poor performance by Maryland's passing offense. But like you said, Iowa's defense has been fantastic this year. They've they've been turning over everybody. And so certainly I think Ohio State's defense is significantly better than Ohio State's right now. And so I think this is going to be more of a test. I think we've seen good things from the defense the past couple weeks. It seems like they've figured out a scheme that worked better for them. It seems like they're executing better within that scheme. But now we've got to see it against a team that I think, especially through the air, has a lot more ability to challenge Ohio State than those last couple teams did. It's really interesting because last year with Tagovailoa, we saw inconsistency, but we saw flashes of great things. We saw him pull off a couple unexpected wins, a couple really good games, a couple really bad games from him. This season, it was more of the good, almost all good to start off the year 4-0. I think it was the first time since 2015 or 2016 that Maryland started the year off with four straight wins. Tagovailoa was... Averaging over 300 yards passing, hadn't even he had thrown one interception maybe coming into the the Iowa game, but you kind of wonder is Ohio State getting Maryland at a good time because Maryland is coming off of such a deflating loss, especially for Tagovailoa throwing five interceptions to kind of really put his momentum that he had built up to such a screeching halt in that game throwing five interceptions is he going to be a little bit rattled coming into this game? You wonder. You wonder if it's going to start a trend of poor performances from him just because we've seen that inconsistency before they still obviously have that threat I think even after the Iowa game Maryland still is like the number three pass offense in the Big Ten or something like that another thing with this Maryland team that I didn't quite realize it's more than just a pass threat Maryland also is tied for the most sacks in the Big Ten and unlike Ohio State which had nine of their I think 14 for the season in one game Maryland's had at least two in every game I think five in one game six in another game so it's been a good spread. I think that shows that it's a consistently good pass rush that Maryland possesses. I wonder, Dan, if you think that the Maryland defensive line and defense has any challenges to pose to that Ohio State offensive line, which has been pretty much dynamite so far this season. I really don't. I really don't see Maryland's defense being much of a threat for Ohio State. I think if C.J. Stroud is healthy, and I think if Travion Henderson is healthy, and I think if they're able to click the way that we saw this past week, I think we're going to see Ohio State put up a lot of points. I think the question I have going into this game is, 
can Ohio State dominate and pull away the same way we saw last week? Or is this going to be a shootout? You know, I, I still always think back to the 2018 game against Maryland, which was the shootout of all shootouts with uh, Ohio State uh, ultimately winning in overtime after an unsuccessful two-point conversion by Maryland. I don't think we're going to see a repeat of that. But could I see Maryland scoring, you know, in the 20s of points or potentially even challenging for the 30s if Ohio State's defense hasn't made as much progress as we think? It's certainly possible. And so I think this game could be competitive. I'm more confident that Ohio State will be able to win this game in convincing fashion than I was going into last week's game against Rutgers. Because I do think there are some real things that are clicking for Ohio State. And you mentioned of Maryland, you know, this possibility of them potentially catching them at the right time. And you know, the thing about Maryland, if, if you look, it even predates Mike Locksley. It's really been f- for about six years here now. There's been a pretty consistent trend with Maryland where they win a big game or two early in the year, they get off to a promising start, and then they backslide. I mean, you look at it, 2016, they strutted out 4-0, finished the year 6-7. and In both 2017 and 2018, they started their season with wins over Texas. They finished 4-8, 5-7. 2019, they start the year, blow out Howard and Syracuse, 2-0, got some momentum. They finished 3-9. Last year was hard to gauge, but like I remember last year going into the game that got canceled, like I thought that was a dangerous game for Ohio State because their defense was their pass defense specifically was struggling so much. And Talia Tagovailoa was playing well, but then Maryland missed a couple games. They didn't finish the year well, and so I do wonder. Okay, like is this the annual slide for Maryland? Like we saw this promising start. Now are things going to kind of go off the rails here? I I don't know, but. If this game turns out to be a complete domination, like we saw this past week against Rutgers, it wouldn't shock me. I'm not going to quite go there. I'm predicting it. I'm thinking I'm a final score of like 56 to 24. I think, I think Maryland is going to put up some points. I think they are going to score a few touchdowns because I do think their offense is significantly better than Rutgers. But I do think Ohio State's going to be able to control this game. I, I think I think Ohio State's going to be able to control this game. I think they're probably going to have to play their starters longer than they did against Rutgers, which could ultimately mean scoring more points. But I'm reasonably confident Ohio State's going to be able to control this game. And I I probably wouldn't have been a couple weeks ago because, I mean, I, I had kind of said, even going into the season, that I thought Maryland was a, a dangerous team. But I feel like if Ohio State's turned the corner that we think they have, I think like they should be able to win this game comfortably. The fact that the perception has kind of changed your perception about the game just goes to show how you really are only as good as your last performance because yep. the, the, the performances that both of these teams put on this past weekend could not be any further, this complete juxtaposed opposites here, completely contrasting Correct. You know, one team at the on the end of a basically a 39-point loss, the other one on the winning end of that equation – I'm going to predict a 49-27 win for Ohio State. If Ohio State was favored by 21, that would have them covering? Yes, yes. So, so we, we are both going with a cover here. 
That's and, that, and I'm betting the over too because I have I have the two teams scoring a combined eighty points, so I'm I'm taking the over as well. You really do wonder how many points Ohio State could have scored against Rutgers had they left the starters in and put the foot on the gas the entire game because 45 points. I mean, Rutgers never stopped Ohio State's offense because, again, you, you can't count the last drive. Ohio State probably could have gone for more points and they decided to take the foot off the gas pedal already at 45-6. So when the first team offense was in the game, Rutgers did not stop them. We still have to see, though, does Ohio State have another one of those performances where they fire on all cylinders on offense or do we see it's very possible we see a slight regression or another game from CJ Stroud where he's not quite as perfect a game where possibly maybe the Maryland pass rush actually gets to CJ Stroud a couple of times remains to be seen I think 49-27 for me sounds like a reasonable score and you could tell Ryan Day was on guard against that a little bit on Tuesday when he was being asked about you know if the team had turned the corner there was a lot of that was great but if we don't practice as well this week we're not going to play as well. You know, it sounds like just from hearing Ryan Day talk, but he thinks the team has really uh, taken their practice habits to a new level the past couple of weeks. But I do think there's that question of, okay, now that they're feeling good about themselves, now that they've gotten a big win, do they start to get a little bit comfortable? I think that's the question that we don't know about. So we will see on Saturday. Dan, let's dive into some questions here from our forum posters. This one from one mech ENG, one mech engine. Is that what that means? I'm assuming that's mechanical engineering, a, uh, <laughs> a abbreviation for that. You've got a better read on, on some of these form names from the, that, that, that is for sure. Anyway, he asks, do the defensive improvements of the last two weeks by Kerry Combs, any job security security as Ohio State's defensive coordinator, even though Matt Barnes is kind of calling the shots now. I wanted to put that one at the start. I think that's an interesting question. I, first of all, here's what I would say. I do not think Kerry Combs will be Ohio State's defensive coordinator next year. I think it's possible Matt Barnes could be Ohio State's defensive coordinator next year with the way things are going right now. And we got asked another question that I think pairs perfectly with this by Cujo247. And he said, with Kerry Combs seemingly phased out of defensive coordinator responsibilities, do we think he'll be willing to stay in a diminished role? And if he leaves, what impact will that have on defensive back recruiting? Just to start with the first part of that, I think that's an interesting question. I, I do not know the answer to that question, but I think it's interesting because I think typically in the vast majority of cases, the answer to that question is going to be no. Typically, when a guy gets asked to, to take a demotion, typically he's going to go somewhere else and look for another job. But Kerry Combs is an Ohio guy through and through. I do believe that Kerry Combs genuinely loves Ohio State, he chose to leave the NFL to come back to Ohio State. So I'm not going to rule out the possibility that Ohio State could work something out to where Kerry Combs would decide to stay in a lesser role. If I, you know, gun to my head, if I have to predict will it happen, I would predict right now that Kerry Combs will not be on Ohio State's coaching staff next year because I certainly don't think he's getting his defensive coordinator and play-calling responsibilities back. And so he'd have to be willing to take on... He'd have to be willing to you know, accept the fact that he's not going to be in that role that he was hired for. And Ohio State would also have to say, okay, we're, we're paying this guy coordinator money. Are we going to continue to pay him that just to be are presumably he would become the 
secondary coach, cornerbacks coach, if Matt Barnes was to become a defense coordinator. Or maybe they bring in somebody else. I would also think if you're Matt Barnes, you're going to want to probably be defensive coordinator next year. He didn't say that when he got asked about it a couple weeks ago. But I think if the defense continues to play well, Matt Barnes is going to have opportunities to be a coordinator, whether it's at Ohio State or somewhere else. Ryan Day will have to make that decision of whether Matt Barnes should be the guy. But what I don't think, what I really don't think is, I, I definitely don't think Kerry Combs is going to get his play calling responsibilities back. I think clearly that was a failed experiment and, and they've moved on from that. And so if Kerry Combs is going to stick around, it's going to have to be in, in a diminished role. And, you know, only Kerry Combs can answer that question of whether that's something that he would be willing to do. And the other side of that, like we just talked about, is the recruiting aspect of things, which is a big factor coming into play here because Kerry Combs, of course, has all this recruiting cachet. He's a great recruiter. That's one of the best things about him. He has the reputation of turning guys into first-round defensive back draft picks, which Matt Barnes could certainly have that same reputation in a few years if he builds up his name and things like that. But we haven't. His, he doesn't have the same recruiting cachet. He doesn't have that kind of name in the recruiting world and things like that. So that's why a lot of people are like, we got to keep Kerry Combs around to, to be for his recruiting. But I just don't see personally a situation where it could work out. Kerry Combs, ego-wise, he's not going to want to just be a recruiter and have his see things stripped back like that at this stage in his, in his career. But it's also just such a weird situation because I don't think a lot of people would have thought that Kerry Combs as this longtime Buckeye, beloved assistant coach, would have come back and been so maligned in, in just two years and not even a full two years to, to a point where a lot of people on Twitter's Twitter handles are fire Kerry Combs. It becomes very uncomfortable because you know Kerry Combs has great ties with the program and, and things of that nature. So to see how it all plays out is going to be very interesting. I certainly do not think that Kerry Combs is going to continue to be called defensive coordinator and seemingly be relegated to a non-play calling role up in the box, which is what he doesn't that's not what he does that's just not his whole thing with it the energy he brings to the table and, and things like that yeah i think because of what you said Kerry combs's track record of developing cornerbacks and his track record of recruiting those caliber players i think and again some of his head depends on what they do in terms of the defense coordinator because you know let's you know again we're going off two games against akron and Rutgers here if the defense doesn't continue to play at this level i think there is a good chance ryan day is going to want to bring in someone from the outside as a defensive coordinator next year and then you'd have to ask, okay, would Kerry Combs mesh working with that person? If, you know, the defense does great for the rest of the year, I mean, you promote Matt Barnes to defensive coordinator, then I think if Kerry Combs really was willing to stay and be your cornerback's coach, I think you'd, I think you'd probably take that. I think you'd probably want him to stick around. But I, I would probably put, you know, the, the probability of that you know, lower than 50%, you know, well, I'm not going to rule it out. And cause again, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's just, a t- it's, it, it would be, it would be a tough situation to manage. I think. Dan, we've heard Ryan day talk a lot, especially as it pertains to the defensive struggles in the past couple of years about, is it personnel? Is it scheme or is it coaching? We've heard that almost ad nauseum. I would go as far as to say, Min Buck asks, if you had 100 Buckeye leaves, how would you allocate the defensive improvement we've seen from the Buckeyes in the past few games among those three categories? 
I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I really do feel like it's almost a third in each one because I think Matt Barnes calling defensive plays has absolutely had an impact on that. I think the fact that they've changed the scheme, as Kyle Jones outlined on our website a couple days ago, has absolutely had an impact on that. But I think the improvement of the players who are gaining more experience has also had a major impact on that. You know, guys like you know Ronnie Hickman, who I think is really becoming a star on his defense. Denzel Burke, you know, a guy like Cam Martinez, who's taken on a big role and, and is is playing better. You know, I think you know a lot of guys. I mean, I want to I want I want to give the guy credit. He didn't play a lot of snaps, but he gets maligned so much by the fan base. Tommy Eichenberg had his best game as, as a Buckeye against Rutgers. So I think we're seeing improvement from those players. I think we're seeing a scheme that's better utilizing those players. And I think, by all accounts, the, the communication among the coaches has been much better since Matt Barnes started taking over those play-calling responsibilities. And so it's hard to put numbers on it. I really do think, though, all three have played a major role in it. And it might be somewhat even between the three. We have to think if any one of those three variables had stayed the same, if there was a constant variable in this equation, then you'd be able to measure more which one had more of an impact. But all three of them have changed to a certain extent. I guess personnel would probably be the thing that's stayed the same the most because we have seen guys like Ronnie Hickman and Denzel Burke and guys guys like this have the same role as established guys for this defense. But then another variable like you talked about that that isn't being talked about here is the experience. I think that that's a big part of the equation is with the personnel. The fact that they've got games under their belt, reps under their belt, they've made big plays now, that's a big part of the personnel. The the personnel might just have needed more experience along with some tweaks in the scheme and the obvious changes in the coaching. Buckzilla1 asked about when do you think the defense will lock in a consistent starting rotation? I feel like we started to see that a little bit more this past week because I don't believe, I think it was the first time all season that there were not any first-time starters. I think I had put in our last call that I thought maybe maybe we'd see Leif and Ransom start or maybe we'd see Steel Chambers play a little bit more at linebacker, but it was pretty consistent from what we've seen where it seems now like Taraja Mitchell and Cody Simon are the two starting line inside linebackers. Cody Simon does seem to be dealing with a shoulder, so whether he can stay healthy might be a bit of a question there, but it seems like if he's healthy... Those are the two starting linebackers with Eichenberg and Chambers backing them up. Ronnie Hickman's definitely locked in as the bullet. They've even moved Craig Young uh, to cover safety because Ronnie Hickman's basically playing all the meaningful snaps at bullet. It seems like they're you know pretty locked in now with Cam Martinez being that starting cover safety and Leif and Ransom splitting snaps with Bryson Shaw at, at free safety. I, I Again, I know Shaw is not a fan favorite, but I do think they like Shaw as the starter there right now. I think I think both those guys have had up and down. I think Ransom was probably the guy who was responsible for that 75-yard touchdown the other day. So I think both those guys are still growing, and if if one of them can really uh, take a leap ahead, then I think you know that that might become more stable in terms of one guy playing most of the snaps. I think that will probably continue to see somewhat of a rotation there for the time being. You know, I think at, at outside corner, I think the question right now is, is Cam Brown's health. You know, you know, I think if I think if I think if he can get healthy now that Seven Banks seems to be back on track, 
I think there's a good chance we'll see more of a free cornerback rotation we've seen with Kerry Combs in the past. Where I mean, Denzel Burke is clearly the number one corner at this point, but I think we could see Banks and Brown rotate if you get to a point where both of those guys are really fully healthy, full go. I think we could see them rotate a lot and all three of those guys playing there. But I, I feel like they've kind of got things figured out there. I mean, the defensive line has always been a position where Larry Johnson rotates heavy. And so that's not going to change. But I feel like the back seven has gotten a lot more stable. You know, the last couple of weeks, they've played a lot of guys because it's been blowout games. But I, I think they have started to figure out now who their top guys are. The one position battle you didn't mention there that I will will highlight a little bit is JTT. Is he going to continue to start at that other defensive end position, which he has the last couple of weeks, with Tyree Smith being out, we don't really know what's going on with Tyree Smith unless it's a concussion. Okay, so so Tyree Smith, if he comes back, he hasn't had the sack production the past couple of years that people have been expecting from him. If he comes back, does he immediately take that job over? We haven't seen a sack from JTT either, though. So, but he's 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 made an impact for sure. What happens there? That's that's kind of a, a question I still have about the rotation. I think yeah, the, the three kind of spots that I would look at is. Shaw and Ransom, does that ever flip at any point of free safety? I don't know, because Brayson Shaw, the coaches have only raved about him. Like you said, Seven Banks and Cam Brown. It certainly seems like Cam Brown has played better at corner overall, I would say, between the two of those guys, even though we've had a kind of a smaller sample size from Seven Banks. And then, like I said, JTT versus Tyreek Smith. But those are really the, the main ones right now. They're still grabs. A lot of those positions, like we said, have kind of been ironed out. And we we have seen a more solidified rotation on defense in general going into this the gauntlet of the Big Ten here. Yeah, I do think that's an interesting point at defensive end because I think we're still waiting for really any of those guys to really step up and take over. I think I think Zach Harrison is solidly entrenched as a starter, but again, I still don't feel like you know he he did he did force an interception against Rutgers. He made that big play against Minnesota. We still haven't seen Zach Harrison become that consistently dominant player, but I do think that he you know, is locked in as a starter. I think that's an interesting question because I think, I think, I think JT has played fine so far. I don't think he's played great so far. And so I'm not really sure on that one. I think it's certainly possible that JT could end up locking down that starting spot. I also think we're starting to see more of Jack Sawyer. And so I think, I think Jack Sawyer is going to continue to have a bigger role in this thing. We saw Javante Jean Baptiste play a decreased role this past week. So I tend to believe at least compared to Gene Baptiste, I tend to believe we're going to see more snaps from Tui Molowau and Sawyer going forward. I think when Tyreek Smith gets back on the field, I think he, he's got to start making plays. I think he's got to start making more plays, or you do have to ask that question of whether he should be starting. I, my hunch right now would be, I don't, I don't think we've seen enough from Tui Molowau or Sawyer yet to where I believe they're going to knock Tyreek Smith out of a starting lineup altogether. But I think if, if, if Tyreek Smith doesn't come back with a vengeance or if, if Tui Molo or Sawyer really makes that big jump and we start to see a guy who really looks like that five-star guy, I think that's possible. Kind of related to that, the guy who has looked like a five-star guy, even though he wasn't a five-star guy, was Tyreek Williams. I mean, Tyreek Williams has been phenomenal as a freshman. He... He currently leads the team with four sacks. He hasn't started a game yet. He only played three total snaps in the first two games. And so Silver Sniper asked this question, but I've been getting it asked a lot, is 
why isn't Tyleek Williams playing more? And I think the simple answer to that question is he plays the same position as Haskell Garrett. They're both free techniques, even though Tyleek's a bigger guy. He's playing that free tech role. And so I think that's the reason why, you know, he's not in there playing 50 snaps a game because Haskell's still a starter at that spot. And I think Haskell's playing well too. And so I think they've got a great rotation at that free tech spot with those two. You know, I, I think Tyleek has usurped Teron Vincent at this point to be a top two guy at that free tech spot. And I think Antoine Jackson's a better fit at that nose tackle spot. You know, I think we saw the first couple weeks they were, they were trying to play Haskell at nose. And I think Haskell was out of his element. I think, you know, Haskell and Tyleek are both better suited for that free tech spot. And so I think in the base defense, we're not going to see a ton of those guys on the field together. We're going to see one of them on the field with either Antoine Jackson or Jerron Cage or Jaden McKenzie or, you know, Teron Vincent might play there a little bit as well if he, he doesn't get as many snaps at free tech. But I think that's the biggest reason why Tyleek isn't playing more than he is. I think, you know, I, I think going forward, I, We've seen this for the last couple of weeks. Obviously, it's been partially because the games have gotten lost at it. But going forward, if it's you know a very 50-50 rotation between Haskell and Tyleek, that wouldn't surprise me. And I think Tyleek is certainly putting himself in a position where next year, when Haskell's in the NFL, that he, he, he's going to be a starter on that defensive line next year. But I, I think that's the reason why he's not playing even more than he is, is just because he plays the same position as Haskell Garrett. You talk. You think about a, a sixth man in basketball, a guy that comes off the bench. He doesn't get a ton of minutes, but he still fills up the statue, the, the scoring column, if you will. Tyleek Williams is a guy that you give this guy twenty some snaps, he's getting a sack. That's just what he's done the last few games. He was he, he had another sack against Rutgers. He's leading the team as a true freshman. Four sacks. I went back and looked. I think the last time a true freshman for it had at least this many sacks was Nick Bosa. I want to say, and then I was I was trying to figure out. When's the last time a true freshman defensive tackle had four sacks? And we're talking about that's only five games into the season. Who knows what that thing's that sack toe is going to be by the end? And it's basically been three games. He's basically played three games. Right, right. And I will say one thing you could say is that some of Tyler Williams' sacks have been, you know, at the end of these games, in in blowout games against, you know, our, our is it the top guy in in the game anymore for a team like Akron and Tyler Williams getting a couple sacks at the end of a game. So it'll be interesting to see if he's able to kind of continue that sack production once we start seeing Ohio State play these teams like a Penn State and and Michigan and, and people like that. But right now, I mean, what you're seeing from Tyler Williams has got to be blowing you away. And I think a lot of people are going to be asking, why is this guy not playing more? I think, and nobody's actually said this. I'll just throw it, I'll be the one to throw it out there. Could there be a, a little bit of a conditioning issue with Tyler Williams? We, we've heard that he had to lose a lot of weight coming into this season. Could that possibly be holding him back from getting some more snaps? Possibly. That's just me reading reading between the lines on that. I don't know. But also, like you said, there's just a lot of experienced guys there. I mean, you've got a six-year guy, obviously not the same position, but just in terms of defensive tackles in general, you've got a lot of names, and they all rotate and play, and that's how Larry Johnson likes to do it. But I certainly think Tyreek will earn more snaps if he continues to put up this production, which has been very eyebrow-raising so far. And Larry Johnson's always been cautious about putting freshmen too much on their plate. So I think Ty Leak is way ahead of schedule of where basically all of us expected where he would be. But I still think, you know, Larry Johnson might be a little bit cautious. I think he's becoming, quickly becoming less cautious there, but maybe a little bit cautious about putting too much on Ty Leak's plate. 
Silver Sniper asks Another Dan. Question from him. Another question for our, our avid question ask, asker and podcast listener. Silver Sniper asks, with how well Matt Jones and Luke Whippler have played on the O-line and how well the O-line is playing as a unit right now, what does Ohio State do once Thayer Munford and Harry Miller are ready to play? We should say Thayer Munford did, in fact, play this past game. And Harry Miller also played this past game. But, of course, Harry Miller played at a much lesser extent. Did these two just get squeezed out now that the line has gelled and is killing it? Dan, what say you? Well, the answer is Thayer Munford has not been squeezed out because of what you just said. He started at left guard. He's going to continue to be a starter. He's the most experienced offensive lineman on the team, and he's a team captain. He's going to be continue to be in a starting lineup. It was interesting to see what they did with the offensive line against Rutgers because I've called BS on this podcast before when Greg Stadrawa has come out and said, we're going to roll guys on the offensive line because he's said that almost every year. But this is the first time I've actually seen him really do it. Like this is a, they, they really did it because I remember he, he got in the game for Paris Johnson first at right guard and people are asking me, is Paris hurt? And nope, Paris wasn't hurt. They were just trying him there at right guard. Then they put him in at left guard for Thayer. Then to start the second half, they even put Thayer at left tackle and Nicholas Petit-Frere at right tackle, the positions they played last year. So they're experimenting with some different things. I'll be interested to see going forward, are they going to be willing to continue experimenting like that or do they want a solid five? You know, against a Penn State, maybe they don't want to be doing that. This week against Maryland, it is a tougher defensive line. I I still think we might see a little bit of that. So I don't know exactly where that's going. And I think the one thing that's clear is Matt Jones has played well enough the last three weeks where they feel like he's got to be in, he's got to be in rotation. He belongs on the field. And so I think Matt Jones is going to continue to see playing time. I also think all of those other five that be Nicholas Petit, Fairfair, Munford, Luke Whippler, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, they've all played well enough where none of them are going to completely lose their jobs. And so I think they're willing to, to mix things up a little bit here. Obviously, the good thing is you got options now because, you know, if really if anybody on that front five gets hurt, there's a possibility that Matt Jones could come in and fill in, whether that means, you know, moving Thayer and PF outside, you could put Matt Jones at center. There's different options there. Uh, so it's a, it's a good problem to have. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but it's a good problem to have. With Harry Miller, my inclination would be right now that you know he's probably going to be a backup for the time being. And we only saw him play 11 snaps against Rutgers. It wasn't even at center, which was interesting, because they had Toby Wilson, a walk-on, playing backup center at the end of the game with Harry Miller playing at guard. That could certainly change as Harry Miller gets back into the swing of things, but I don't think Luke Whippler's job is in jeopardy right now. I think right now Luke Whippler is the starting center for this football team. I think certainly they'd love to get Harry Miller back to 100% to where they feel confident that he can step in anytime they need him. But right now I think you know Harry Miller's probably on the outside looking in in terms of that lineup. I think Matt Jones has put himself in a position where you know he, he's forced his way into the field, but I think Harry Miller's got a long way back to get to that point. You know, had Whippler come in and been an obvious weak point for the Ohio State offensive line at center, then I think maybe you are, you're speeding Harry Miller along more. You're more desperate to get him in there right away. But Luke Whippler has not been that. He's been pretty great for Ohio State at center as just a redshirt freshman. And I think for that reason, Ohio State has the luxury of being able to take its time with Harry Miller and not have to rush him back in that capacity. And I think because of that, too, like you said, we might just see Luke Whippler be the starting center all season for Ohio State. And you kind of regroup with Harry Miller next season. 
But Dan, another question here. This one from Nut and PA talking about the running backs here and one in particular. Nut and PA asks, am I the only one who was pleasantly surprised by Marcus Crowley's running this past Saturday with Mayan Williams sitting the game out and Day opting to keep Henderson out in the second half? I was really impressed with Crowley. One guy could not bring him down. Yeah, I thought he played well. He had a nice play there. Screen pass. Uh, took it for a 22-yard gain, I think, which set up a touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson on the next play. I thought he played well. I, I thought it was a small sample size, so it's hard to put too much into that. But I, I did think that Marcus Crowley played well, and I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they divide up these reps going forward because we don't know exactly what's up with Mayan Williams right now. You know, Master Teague... I think he's kind of continued to be what he is where, you know, I think, I think Master Teague's been fine the last couple of weeks. You know, I, I do think the one thing that, you know, is noticeable is that when Travion Henderson's not in there, you know, you put Master Teague in there, he just doesn't run at the same speed. It just, he just doesn't have that same gear. But I, I think that's true of everybody right now. And Ryan Day has admitted that, that Travion just has a different gear to him that the other guys don't have. You know, I, I think, between, you know, Mayan and, and Master and, and Crowley, I think right now it it's hard to have a definitive pecking order of who's 2-3-4 among those guys right now. I think, you know, Crowley showed some promising things, and so I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, if we see Crowley continue to get back in there for some more reps. But I think what is clear right now is Travion is the number one guy. When, when, when the game is on the line, Travion is going to be the guy who gets most of the carries. And if, if he can stay healthy, you know, I look at a game like Penn State, I think if Travion's healthy, I think he is going to be playing the vast majority of snaps at running back in that game. I will say, because Nutton PA asked if he was the only one that was pleasantly surprised by Marcus Crowley, no, because Crowley was in fact a champion per the Ohio State coaching staff for his performance. And the second thing I'll say about the running backs is, if anything, in the first five games, I think we have kind of seen that you know, we thought that there was going to be a ton of guys in that running backs room and, you know, who's going to really get carries out of that group. We've seen a lot of guys have kind of had some some injury issues here. Marcus Crowley missed a couple of games. Mayan Williams has now missed a couple of games, basically. Henderson's had a couple of injury issues, too. And it, it kind of seems like, man, yeah, like they kind of do need all those guys in case somebody goes down because they they all of them have. And of course, Master Teague in the past has, has had several issues in the past. So I think with those guys the fact that they have so many capable guys in that room is going to bode well from them going forward. Buccanati asked, do you think our offense will be better than Bama's in 2020 and LSU's in 2019, parentheses, ours in 2019 as well, by the end of 2021? So basically you're asking, will Ohio State's offense this year be better than the two best offense in modern college football history? This offense has a lot of potential. I, I think, you know, we saw... It all start to come together this past week, and I think if they could continue to build on that, I, I do think Ohio State can absolutely have the best offense in the country. I think it might already have that. I'm not going to go better than 2020 Bama and 2019 LSU, though, because those were two historically great offenses. And C.J. Stroud is, is still, I mean, again, we're a week removed from people thinking Kyle McCord should have been starting over C.J. Stroud, and now we're talking about, is this going to be better than two of the best offenses in college football history. So I'm not going to go there. I mean, I think the thing that's encouraging about it is you look at those offenses. I, I remember writing this way back in the offseason is the common thread this team has between those two teams that won the national championship is they clearly have the best 
starting group of wide receivers in the country. And so I think that's something that can make a huge difference on the game. I do think if C.J. Stroud finds his stride, this is the most dangerous passing attack in the country. And if the offensive line keeps playing well and Travion Henderson keeps running well, I mean, this offense absolutely can be an elite offense that's very dangerous. But, man, those, those, those Bam, that Bama offense last year, that LSU offense two years ago, I mean, those were wrecking crews. I mean, they dominated game in and game out. And I can't say that right now just based off seeing them dominate Rutgers. You know, if they, if they can put up 50-plus points on Penn State, then I'll be willing to revisit this conversation, but not yet. I will say, think about the, the quarterback-running back pairings in, the, in the, the three teams we're comparing here because wide receivers aside, if we're just talking about those those groups, with Bama in 2020, both of those guys, Mac Jones and Najee Harris, were went pro after the season with LSU, Clyde... first-round picks. Yeah, and, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and, and Joe Burrow, those guys... Were also both first-round picks. Right, right. And so as good as C.J. Stroud and Trayvon Henderson could become, I think we would all probably argue that they're going to be better in two years than they are right now. So if you had those guys with a little more experience combined with the Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, guys, guys who are ready to go first round right now, then I think maybe we have a little bit of a different story. But I think to get to C.J. Stroud and Henderson's best years, we're probably going to have to wait another couple of years to see them in their best form. Shep1364 did ask, how is the cheese steak? I am uh, sadly report that we did not make it to Philadelphia. You got Some of you may have seen that uh, Garrick and I went to watch Chase Basantis last week. We were originally hoping to go to a high school game in, in Philadelphia, but that did not work out. And so we ended up going up to northern New Jersey and watching Chase Basantis play instead. But we did get to try the famous New Jersey bagels that Luke Whippler was talking up last week, and they were pretty good. I was skeptical because I'm a person that's grown up in Columbus my entire life, and I've always eaten bagels. So I've never had like a complaint to be like, oh, the bagels in Columbus just aren't up to snuff. But again, I haven't experienced the the bagel culture in other cities per se, but all week we heard about how the bagels in, in New Jersey are just on a different level to a Columbus, for example. I thought it was, I had a great bagel experience myself. It wasn't like hot. And I think if it was hot, it probably would have put it over the top for being probably the best bagel experience I can remember having, but it was, it was damn good. Nonetheless. Final question from Gin and Juice. What is your Mount Rushmore of game day snacks? I don't know if I fought a four. I mean, for me, if I'm just at home watching a game, like pizza and wings are usually at the top of my list. Do you got one or two to add to that? Dan, you're saying you wouldn't put the eggs we were served in the press box as, as your, your number one, two, three, and four? <laughs> no, the, uh, the breakfast eggs from the Ohio State press box would probably not make my list. But, but chicken at Rutgers, that was good. The chicken and pasta. Ruck, Rutgers, that's one thing I will give Rutgers. Is they're, them and Penn State are probably at the top of the list for best uh, medium meals in the Big Ten. So got to give Rutgers credit for that. But yeah, I'd probably go pizza and wings over uh, the, the breakfast eggs at Ohio State. If we're talking like finger food snacks, this might seem kind of weird to some of you, but I, for some reason, have gotten a real uh, penchant for eat like a wasabi trail mix, like a spicy kind of not what I was expecting. <laughs> that for some reason, like I've really gravitated towards that in the last couple of years. So, so that I find myself eating like quite often when watching sporting events or, or just on the weekends, if I'm drinking a couple of beers or, or what have you, I'm going to have to try that. I've never, I don't know if I've ever had wasabi trail mix. So I'm gonna have to try it. Well, thanks for listening in uh, to another episode of real pod Wednesdays. Ohio State coming up against Maryland this weekend at noon. 
So uh, we're sure you'll all be watching that. We'll be back to talk about it next week when Ohio State will have a bye week, and we'll kind of do a midseason review of where this Ohio State football team is and maybe talk a little basketball as well because Griffin's going to be in Indianapolis on Thursday for Big Ten Media Day. So we'll maybe talk a little bit of basketball as well, but, but mostly football as we wrap up what happens against Maryland and kind of take stock of where things are at the midpoint of the regular season. So hope you all have a great week and we'll talk to you again next week.